We're shifting gears from our sermon series on money, and we're beginning to look at the life of one of the patriarchs, Jacob. And we're going to see Jacob struggle and wrestle for grace his entire life. He's going to scheme to try to find it. He's going to look for it in all the wrong places, and he's going to try to gain it in all the wrong ways, only to discover that he had it from the beginning in the womb. So we're going to begin reading in verse 19 in chapter 25. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger." When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that as we hear your voice in your word, that you would satisfy our souls with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Perhaps you've heard the idiom, setting the stage. According to the Cambridge and Oxford dictionaries, it means to arrange a stage for an act or a scene of a production can also be used to mean that conditions have been made right for something to happen or that something is likely to happen. These ten verses set the stage for Jacob's entire life. It's interesting to me that we meet Abraham when he's 75 years old, but we're introduced to Jacob in the womb. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at his life as he was grasping for grace. And we think that all of us can identify with Jacob. We think that there is much to learn about our own struggles, and there is much to be learned about the Lord's faithfulness. So two struggles that I think that we can all identify with this morning are these. The first is this, a struggle with being barren. If you look at verse 21 and you look at the words that are used to describe Rebecca, what are they? It doesn't say that she was beautiful, though she was. It doesn't say that she was faithful, though she was. The first words used to describe her is that she was barren. Now, it's interesting because 
the author kind of moves on from that very quickly. But I think the reason why the author does that is because we've just seen this struggle in the life of Abraham and Sarah for the previous nine chapters, and we've read in detail their struggle and their consequences of the choices that they made because of this struggle. So when the author of Genesis gets to Rebekah, it's almost as if he says, ditto. In all of the same ways that Sarah struggled, Rebekah struggled. You can just imagine for 20 long years, her biological clock was ticking and they had no children. Now this would have been particularly hard for them in that culture where barrenness was seen as some kind of spiritual shame, but it must have been particularly hard for Isaac and Rebecca for a number of reasons. Think about Isaac. If you were Isaac, would you ever forget being taken on a mountain by your father, bound on an altar where you are about to be sacrificed before the Lord provides a substitute? And you would remember the words that God spoke to Abraham that Isaac overheard on that mountain. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. Abraham's seed, Isaac, would have offspring that would number the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. But for 20 years, he had not one offspring. And if you begin to read the beginning of Genesis 25, his other brother Ishmael had already had 12 sons by now. 12 to 0, if you're counting. Now, what about Rebecca? Now, Rebecca, uh, Abraham's servant, went to find a wife for Isaac. And when he found Rebekah, her family was elated. And they sent her away with these words ringing in her ears saying, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. Twenty years later, there weren't ten thousands. There weren't thousands. There wasn't even one single baby. Do you see the barrenness? Do you see the struggle of natural longings for a child, cultural expectations, God's guidance, prayers of a family, and the covenant promises of God to Isaac and Rebekah, yet they are barren. Where they might have expected immediate blessings, there is barrenness. And for how long? 20 Years. We can read all of these verses in about 20 seconds. We can probably even understand these verses in 20 minutes, but we don't want to pass over the length of time that they had to wait. 20 years. For 20 years, God did not answer Isaac's prayers. 20 years, 240 months. 8,765 days of waiting and wondering. 20 years of walking in a nursery and seeing an empty crib. Do you feel it for them? Do you see the barrenness? Now, infertility is hard any time 
for any people. And if you're struggling with that, don't struggle alone. Share that with your community or come talk to us in the church. We'd love to walk through that with you. Friends, you need to understand something else. I love my job. I love being a pastor. And I'm reminded of this truth on a daily basis. We live in a barren world. And it is more broken and damaged than you and I know. In the beginning, we were created to be holy and happy. But because of our rebellion, we are now full of sin and miserable Now, Genesis 3 sets the stage for Jacob's life and our entire life. Does this world have beauty in it? Absolutely. Is there joy in this world? Yes. But don't forget Genesis 3, 15 through 16, that because of our cosmic treason, there are consequences that we feel on a daily basis. There is pain in childbirth. There is frustration in work. And one day we return to dust. Genesis 5.5 is striking to me. It's short. But if you were to read Genesis 5.5, it says, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. He returned to dust. Seth, his son, died. Noah died, Moses died, Abraham died, Joshua died, Ezra died, Naomi died, Ruth died, and even Jesus died. There will be anguish of soul, and we will struggle with thorns and thistles in this world, and you're shaking your head and saying, you don't have to tell me, brother. I know it. I know it because I know some of you pray for children, for jobs, for struggles with addictions, sexual temptations, finances, and illnesses with relentless tears. How are we to respond to living in a barren world? I would submit to you that we should respond in the same way that Isaac and Rebecca did. And you know, Isaac responded completely different than his father Abraham. He responded with faith. He was holy. Instead of taking a sinful shortcut like Abraham, in verse 21 we are told, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Isaac waited. And he prayed. And he prayed. And the commentators tell us that his prayers were relentless and passionate. It's the same word that Moses used when praying for the relief of the plagues in Egypt. Isaac prayed, not occasionally and not indifferently. How do we live in a fallen world? With patience and prayer like Isaac and Rebekah. Think about this, how we wait with patience. Isaac and Rebekah waited 20 years for their son But how long did we have to wait for the true son of Abraham, the true seed? Over 2,000 years before the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, we have to wait. God will keep his word and fulfill his promises, but sometimes it takes longer than we would like. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
then you may think that life is supposed to be easy and immediate and it's one brick road filled with lollipops all the way to eternity. But it's not. It's full of waiting. It's full of hardship and difficulty. Life should come with the same warning that comes on toys, some assembly required. Life comes with frustration and difficulty. This has stuck with me over the years. One pastor said, life is more like a crock pot than a microwave. You think about that one. When God chose Abraham and told him he was going to bless him through his child, how long did it take before he started having children? Was it immediate? No, it took time. What about the original hearers of the book of Genesis? They've been set free from slavery in Egypt. But how long did they wander in the wilderness and have to wait for the promised land? Forty years. What about the disciples who followed Jesus? Jesus said, follow me. Now go into that storm. What about the believers in Hebrews chapter 11 who were tortured, who were beaten for their faith and never experienced or tasted the reward of being children of God? Is God faithful and true? Yes, he is. If you read the Bible for five minutes, you'll see that he always, always keeps his promises. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. But sometimes he takes longer than we would like. And our temptation is to take shortcuts instead of responding with faith. You know, here's a hard truth. Some marriages will struggle until death or Jesus returns. There will be some addictions and sexual temptations that will be a thorn in your flesh until death or Jesus returns. And the response of a believing heart is, I will trust in the Lord. My Father is faithful. We wait with patience because we have a faithful Father and life is always best with Him no matter the circumstances. God is passionate about his glory and he is working for our joy. And so for those reasons, we can wait with patience. But something else that Isaac and Rebecca did was this. They prayed with persistence. Do you realize that there were three generations in a row in the chosen covenant family that struggled with infertility? Why is this a pattern in Genesis? You see, God is allowing this to show us an eternal truth. His covenant blessing will not come by natural means. It requires that He produce people of God. See, it's a parable. It's a true one. But the granting of physical life is a parable of granting spiritual life. Salvation does not depend on human ability and power, but solely on the sovereign mercy of the Lord And so do you know how we respond? We pray. Because prayer is the ultimate expression of dependence on our God. We pray every day out of a real sense of need. Friends, we love you, so hear this. There are some prayers that you pray that will be answered in your life. And there are some prayers that you will pray that will 
not be answered like you want them to be. Maybe no one's ever told you that. But God is not like a slot machine in the sky that if you keep pulling his arm and finally it hits jackpot and you get everything that you asked for. I don't have a glib answer, but I do have a good answer for you this morning. It comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Every struggle is an opportunity for God to show his power in your life. God does this for Jacob and for Rebecca. God brings a birth Jacob for a barren people. And God brings a birth, Jesus, for a barren people, you and me. You see, God may not give you everything that you ask for, but he will give you himself and more. He offers you his presence for all of eternity. One pastor said that if you were as wise and as loving as God you would answer your prayers in the same way that he does. Yes, pray the desires of your heart. But if you have to have something now, or you want it more than the Lord, then you are in danger. The Lord gives us what we need when we need it. And in this situation, God heard the prayers of Isaac and Rebekah, and he gave them a child, and they conceived. But struggle didn't end for them, and that's the second struggle that I think we can identify with. The struggle of conflict. Notice immediately after their joy of finding out that they're pregnant, there's immediate anxiety because the babies are struggling. They're jostling. The Hebrew word there is a strong one that means crushed. Literally, Inside of her, it feels like there's a battlefield in her womb. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, I've had a hard pregnancy. She's just a wimp. If you go back to Rebecca, she was the one who watered the ten camels of the servant of Abraham. An average camel takes 25 gallons of water. She did that in a few hours. She's crops fit. She's tough and she's beautiful. This was a difficult pregnancy. It was like two wildcats wrestling in a cave in her womb. And so she, like Isaac, goes and inquires of the Lord. She says, why is this happening? And the answer that she is told is that she is having twins and the descendants of her sons will form nations that will always fight. Esau and Jacob's conflict will dominate the next ten chapters. And Edom and Israel will be in constant conflict. And then the description of the boys is almost comical. Esau, the older, comes out looking like a University of Maryland sweater. Hairy and red. If Esau were in a, lived in the Wild West, his nickname would have been Big Red. If he was a character in Star Wars, this would be Chewbacca. If he was on staff at McLean Presbyterian Church, he'd look like... Uh. Actually, commentators are divided about what this word red means. Some commentators think that red means sinister because it would have been so unusual to have a ginger in that day. But other commentators actually think it's a compliment because if you look at the description of David in 1 Samuel, it's the same word that's translated ruddy. 
So for obvious reasons in job security, I'm going with the commentators on Ruddy. <laughs> now the younger, he comes out quite different. He comes out grabbing his brother's heel. Jacob is born trying to catch up to overtake his brother. He is the heel holder, which is what the name Jacob sounds like in Hebrew. He is constantly trying to get ahead by his own devices and schemes. He was labeled an overreacher. He was single-minded in a negative sense. Now let's pause and remember that we live in a barren world, a fallen world from Genesis 3. But there's also another pattern in Genesis. We see a pattern of conflict, particularly in the covenant family. Look at Cain and Abel, conflict. The sons of Noah, conflict. Ishmael and Isaac, conflict. Jacob and Laban, conflict. Joseph and his brothers, conflict. Since the beginning, humanity has been in conflict. It's what we're told in Genesis 3.15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Conflict is inevitable in families. Maybe even in yours. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship with your parents, with your children, with your siblings, with your brothers or sisters. And how ought we to respond to conflict in our family? I would submit to you that we ought to respond to conflict in our family in a number of ways. But one of the ways in this passage that we see is how God responded to Jacob. He responded with grace. God says this to Rebekah in verse 23. The older brother will serve the younger. Again, this is a pattern in Genesis. It's a reversal of what was norm in the culture. What was normative. That normally the older brother was the one that had all the rights. That got all of the inheritance. But over and over in Genesis, we see that the younger brother is usually chosen by God. You see, how do we live in a fallen world? Two ways. Posturing with, with grace and responding with faith. Posturing with grace. This unusual pattern of God choosing the younger. Look at it. Abel over Cain. Isaac over Ishmael. Rachel over Leah. Joseph over his brother. Ephraim over Manasseh. Jacob over Esau. Why? God does this to emphasize one thing, grace. If you and I are honest, most of us may even prefer Esau. Why did God choose Jacob? Not because of his personality, not because he was more attractive, but only because he needed it. And we're going to see in this sermon series that God's grace is going to triumph over all of Jacob's sinning, scheming, and plotting. The only reason that you and I are in the family of God is because He set His love on us. If you really understand grace, you will be scandalized by it. Grace divides the world into two groups of people. Not good and bad, but forgiven and unforgiven. Do you realize that this is what it means? It means that you can be a serial killer 
And if you confess with your mouth that you are a sinner and that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be forgiven and you will be in eternity forever. That's scandalous. Grace cannot be tamed. But you know what else? It's inclusive. The gospel is not just for good people. It's for all people. You see, one of the marks that ought to be evident in our lives as a result of this grace is humility. When people think of you and me as believers, they ought to think, he's humble. When people think of McLean Presbyterian Church, they ought to say, those people are humble. Why? Because we know that the grace that we have received is undeserved and unmerited. Now, the second way that we should think about responding to conflict is to respond with faith. Really in an opposite way of Jacob. Jacob comes out trying to grasp the hill instead of responding with faith. Some of you in this room may think that Christianity is only for good people. Don't believe that lie. The gospel is for you. There isn't any other kind but you. Run to Jesus. None of us at MPC, no matter how nice we look, have anything other on our resume than the blood of Jesus Christ. None of us deserve his grace. Jesus did not come for the righteous, but it was for sinners that he came to save. And I have good news for you. You qualify. It's the reason why Paul says in Romans chapter 9 that God chose Jacob not because he was good or bad, but because of grace and so that he can get glory. There is a promise that has been made to you and to me, a covenant of grace. Isaac cried out to God and God answered his prayer. Today, if you cry out to God and you ask for salvation... If you want grace, it is yours today. Respond with faith. Friends, we live in a barren and a conflicted world. Struggle is real. We have been given good news. We have been given the hope of a Redeemer. Let us wait with patience. Let us pray with persistence. And let us love one another with grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make this true, that we would respond to you in the same way that Isaac responded. Lord, help us to know that precious is your blood that heals us, and perfect is your grace that seals us. Father, help our faith to sing in sorrow because of Jesus. We ask you to do this so that you would get more glory and that the nations might be blessed by your Son. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.